0: Equity-based curriculums around race, gender, sexualities, open the door for conversations that help to prevent, address, and mitigate microaggressions. policies. I quit your trainings and I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children.
1: Hello everybody and welcome. This is episode number 33 of The Right Take. I'm Eric Lundrum. I'm Jacob Steph. And that was a sneak peek to very dramatic and very different audio clips. From the latest, I, I was telling this, uh, Jacob and I were talking about this just before we went on the air here, that uh, it seems like all the viral videos of all these school board meetings with critical race theory and transgenderism and everything, they're all coming out of Loudoun County. It really is, it really does appear to be the epicenter, the hotbed, ground zero for this garbage of, you know, far left cultural indoctrination that they are putting the youngest children through, the youngest students through. It's not just colleges anymore, it's K-12, through 12, it's students of all ages. And that is going to be the first topic of our show today. We are going to be delving into quite a few individuals, shall we say, who definitely deserve to be metaphorically torn apart. We are including people on the conservative side and the left-wing side. So nobody is safe here at The Right Take. There are no sacred cows on this podcast but to start off, Jacob, what's the latest going on at the Loudoun County School Board meetings?
2: Well, first of all, it was critical race theory. That was what the there's actually a, a pack, a political pack that has been created specifically to fight critical race theory in Loudoun County, and I'm I'm assuming they're gonna expand throughout the rest of the country. But that was that was in May, June, July when they're focused on that. This is something completely different, but it's similar in that the Virginia legislature in April passed a law. Signed, of course, by the social liberal in chief, Governor Ralph Northam, that requires every single school district in the state of Virginia to adopt policies that, A, force every single staff member, teacher, janitor, everyone to refer to transgender students by their preferred pronouns, or of course, they could lose their job if they refuse to do that. B, allows any transgender child, any uh, transgender teenager to use the bathroom and locker room of their choice. So if you have a boy who identifies as a girl, he is uh, legal – now it's legal for him to use the girl's bathroom and the girl's locker room. And also the third aspect of this bill is schools cannot deny the right of students to participate in the sports of their choice. So they have to allow – now I I would have to look at the specifics of this, but it may specify – the law may specify that there has to have been a transition for – a boy to participate in a girl's sports, but still, even even then, they you're going to ha-
1: see a whole bunch of Laurel Hubbard's at that point. You're going to see a yeah, bunch exactly, of men yeah. competing in women's sports and crushing the records, and it's going to be celebrated. The media is going to say, first transgender oh,
2: transgender breaks world record." They, they just broke the glass ceiling,
1: and all the women are off to the sideline. It's like there, there was this clip from the uh, from the Olympics where three female weightlifters, actual female weightlifters, were at a conference press conference, and they were asked about Laurel Hubbard's participation. Like, what do any of you have any comments on this historic day of uh, the first transgender participation? And All three of them for like 15 seconds straight, it was just dead silence. Mm -hmm. Like none of them wanted to answer the question. You could tell they were.
2: But the thing is that is that's designed when they ask these questions like that, because this is this is the thing. Most Americans aren't paying attention to how authoritarian our society has become. The media is in cahoots with the agenda of forcing Americans to accept any form of sexual indoctrination that the institutions want to force on them. So in a situation like that, let's let's transition to, say, China.
1: Transition. Good word use.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's transition to China. Let's have that under Mao Zedong. So if there's an official government policy and whatever it could be, anything, the media then, they're working with the communist government to make sure to enforce conformity among all their citizens. So if there's a Chinese athlete, they're going to go up and ask that athlete, what is your what is your position on the chairman's speech the other day? What, what do you think about the chairman's speech? Well, obviously, there's only one correct answer. That's praising the chairman as if he's a god. If the athlete says anything derogatory about the chairman, they're you know going to be kicked out of the Olympics. They're probably going to be put in jail. They're probably going to be beaten and tortured, possibly killed.
1: They'll just disappear.
2: They'll just, oh yeah, they could just disappear or they could be publicly executed. I mean, that, that, that was perfectly all right during that era as well. So when you're in a situation like that, the media is complicit in enforcing conformity because when you're asked a question by the media, if you respond the wrong way, then that clip is out there. And the people in our society who want to enforce these gender norms, they're going to take that and run with it, and they're going to make sure they destroy your life. You're not going to be able to get a good paying job. You're not going to be able to send your kids to college. You know, you're not going to be able to do certain things. And it's almost they have in, introduced the Chinese social credit system into our country. So as you can imagine, a lot of those athletes would probably wanted to really let loose and say what they really thought about the training athlete, but they couldn't because their future depended on them keeping their mouth shut. So you can either keep your mouth shut, and not say your opinion, or you can just play along and praise the regime. But as you know, the, the slogan during the Black Lives Matter movement went, silence is violence. They want to make it illegal to stay silent.
1: Like if you're neutral, if you're neutral, you're on the side of the oppressor. That That's the logic they love but, to use. But it's, like- it's
2: true, though, because they understand that people who are on the side of the oppressor or the people they perceive to be oppressors have learned to keep their mouth shut. So they naturally assume, and oftentimes correctly, that if you're not saying anything, you must disagree with the agenda. So in order to make sure that everyone is on board with the agenda, we have to make sure that every single sportscaster agrees with the agenda. How many ESPN commentators last year lambasted Black Lives Matter? How many Fox, let's how about Fox Sports? Did anyone at Fox Sports, do you know of any commentator that attacked Black Lives Matter? Like not just respectfully disagree with it, but outright attacked it. If they did, they would have lost their job immediately. They would have been fired because that goes against what the institutional regime wants. So you have a situation now where all the school boards in Virginia, and this is this is top down, so no school board is allowed to refuse it. If a school board refuses it, they can be sued by the state because this is now state law. If a school board refuses it, not only can they be sued by the state, but the state government can withhold funds from their school board. So now they can, you know, try to go around and ask donations from the parents. Hey, you want to fund the school? The parents eventually are gonna get tired of that. They're like, no, just give in. Just just submit. And this is this is by design. And so in uh, in Loudoun County, this is what they were debating, the school board meeting last night. They had about 150 parents show up. And what's what's happening is each individual school board has to pass its own policy. So the state law requires the school boards to pass policies that line up with the Department of Education's guidelines, or they can go further. So they can – as long as they meet the minimum requirement, you know, uh, transgender kids have to be able to use the bathroom of their choice. They have to be able to play the sports of their choice. They, uh, they have to have their, pro, their preferred pronouns used. Those are the, that's the minimum requirements, but they can go further if they want. Like you could uh, make it so that, I, I don't know, let's say let's say a student who refuses to use the preferred pronoun of one of his classmates is suspended for a week. Like if they want, that would be acceptable. They just can't do anything less than the required minimum. So each school board is responsible for passing their own policy on transgender students as long as it meets those minimal requirements. So this was Loudoun County School Board looking to pass their own version of the Transgender Inclusivity Act or whatever. I don't remember what this act was called. But during the school board meeting, most of the parents that showed up, they were vehemently against it. And it got pretty heated, almost as heated as the the critical race theory school board meetings. And as, the, as you heard the clip, there was this one fifth grade teacher, Laura Morris, who decided to quit. And she quit on the spot. And, of course, that clip has gone viral. And uh, hopefully hopefully, this wakes a lot more parents up because, as, as I'm going to show with the Fairfax County School Board, what's happening is most people don't pay attention to politics. They don't know anything about any of this stuff.
1: They tune in once every four years to do one thing, and then that's it.
2: Yes, and whenever they tune in once every four years, they're presented with the narrative that the mainstream media wants them to know. So your average voter out there who doesn't pay attention to politics, let's say your average upper middle class voter in Loudoun or Fairfax County, they tune in in September of 2020. There's a presidential election. So they figure, OK, let's see, who am I going to vote for? I voted for Barack Obama in 2008, Obama in 2012, I voted for Clinton in 2016. Uh, Trump's been doing an OK job. Let me see. Let me go check out what Joe and, what Joe and Donald are saying. And uh, the first thing they hear is that Trump called our soldiers uh, suckers and losers, in world at the World War One memorial battlefield in France. Which
1: literally did not happen, but the but media made it sound like it did. They don't know any different. They're
2: like, wow, every single news outlet is reporting this. This was reported by The Atlantic. They're a reputable news organization, so it must be true. And then the next thing they know is the New York Times is coming out with Trump's tax form showing that he didn't pay any taxes several years, and he paid less taxes than they did, and here he is a billionaire, and they're thinking, wow, I'm, I mean, I don't make much money, but I, I pay almost 40 percent of my income in taxes. You got this billionaire, Trump. He's not paying anything in taxes. That's not fair.
1: And then at the same time, while these fake stories are being put out about Trump, the real stories about Joe Biden, like, you know, Hunter's laptop, is completely spiked, and they're not hearing about it at all.
2: Yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't hear anything. But if they do hear about it, it's just a right-wing, a conspiracy, right-wing conspiracy theory. It's a right-wing conspiracy theory. It didn't happen. So tonight they're going to have – what they did last night is they postponed the meeting because there's so much outrage. They just decided to postpone the meeting until tonight. So they're going to vote on that tonight. They're most likely going to pass it because the school board in, – in northern Virginia, all the elected offices are held by Democrats they're completely dominated by Democrats. So the only way to stop this from happening is to recall the school board members or to just wait till the next election and elect somebody new. And you have to hope that all these parents that are up in arms about critical race theory and uh, boys being able to go into girls' bathrooms are going to be paying attention during the next election. That's one of the difficulties of, of the right is getting comfortable middle-class people to stay engaged because they'll get hyped up about something and then they'll lose interest in a few months and you know they'll just go about their normal daily lives. But uh, in, in Fairfax County, which is right next to Loudoun County, this is from The Daily Caller. This is from August 6th. It says, a school in Virginia showed second graders an anti-police video telling children, quote, I feel safe when there are no police, the Fairfax Times reported. The video was included in a summer learning guide at Bailey's Elementary School for the Arts and Sciences in Falls Church, according to the Fairfax Times. Falls Church, that's the that's the town... That recently, uh, the school board in Fairfax County voted to change the name. Their elite school is called Thomas Jefferson High School. They decided to change the name because Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. He was a racist. You know, never mind that you know he was
1: our third president, one of our founding fathers, and um, oh yeah, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. No, no, none of that matters because he had a few slaves.
2: Yeah, he owned slaves, so he we got he's he's uh, he's canceled. Woke kindergarten. This is not this is not a joke. This is what this group is called. Woke kindergarten a group describing itself as committed to abolitionist early education and pro-black liberation created the video. The minute-long video says that all people deserve to feel safe in their bodies, schools, and community. Quote, why do some people feel safe with police and others don't? The narrator asked. The video concludes by saying it's everyone's job to help people who are being treated unfairly while showing a picture of a Black Lives Matter protest. And this is in school. This is in a second grade class. This is given to the summer guidance may have also been available to students at other schools in the Fairfax County School District. Asra Nomani, a vice president at Parents Defending Education who has three teenage children enrolled in the district, told Fox News. A spokesperson for Fairfax County Public Schools had told the Fairfax Times that officials posted the video by mistake and removed it as soon as the administration was aware. And, of course, this is what happens. If they if something embarrassing comes out, then the companies will say, "Oh, well, that's one of our employees. They just did that by mistake. We're looking into the situation." Or if it's a school board, oh, it's yeah, always human error. It's, it's always, always
1: one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It's never it's never a policy. It's never a systemic policy to uh, to implement this. At a Fairfax County school board meeting in July, Michelle Leaked, an official with the county's group NAACP, labeled anyone who opposed critical race theory as anti equity, anti history, anti racial reckoning. Anti-opportunity, among other things. She even said, let them die at the in-person meeting on video. On video, she said, let them die, talking about anyone who opposes critical race theory. And this is something that so many comfortable suburban white middle-class parents do not understand. They don't understand where the rage was coming from, from Black Lives Matter. Or First of all, they didn't even see a lot of the riots. They, they were told it was peaceful protest. They were remember? told it was peaceful protests. They saw on television there were a few broken windows in a few obscure cities.
1: And the CNN reporters saying, literally saying, ignore the burning building behind me, folks. This is a peaceful it's protest. It's
2: mostly peaceful. So they didn't see the rage and the violence and the extremism that, that happened during the summer of Black Lives Matter. So they're not fully aware of the full picture. And secondly, even if they do see it, they're typically they typically seem to be very confused. I've noticed they they seem to be perplexed as to why this is happening, why black people are so angry. That they, they don't understand it, and they think that there's a quick fix to it. They're, we had a black president not so long ago. Why are they so mad? Yeah, this is a this is a common response you hear from a lot of uh, a lot of normy white people is well, we elected a black president. We can't be a racist. You know, why are they saying we're racist? We already elected a black president. We elected him to two terms. I voted for him myself just to show that I'm not a racist. No,
1: it, stop. Don't, don't beat me with that wrench. I voted for Biden. Yeah, no, stop.
2: Exactly. Yeah, like the like the family, the older couple that uh, BLM showed up to their house. and They're like, oh, please don't break anything. Look, we've got our Biden sign in there. the
1: front. And they threw him to the sidewalk anyway.
2: But yeah, they don't, they don't care. Uh, but yeah, so this, this lady, she's an official with the Fairfax County NAACP. She said on video... Very proudly said that anyone who doesn't agree with critical race theory, let them die. This is a subset of black Democrats, of leftist black people. I wouldn't even call them leftist. They're more black nationalists. They're more. They're That's actually, all Black Lives
1: Matter is. It's black nationalism. Yeah, they're actually
2: right wing. Like if you had an all black American country, BLM would be the most right wing faction in that country.
1: It's. They are capitalists. They absolutely support capitalism because they want their people installed on boards of directors. They want to become CEOs. They support capitalism. They support the big corporations. I'm sure some of them probably do support the Second Amendment. They want to have have guns, you know, to protect themselves from evil whitey. So, but yeah, no, it really isn't a left-wing movement by any means. It's not really left or right at the end of the day. It's
2: about the advancement of their interests. Mm -hmm. But the thing is with, with a lot of parents, a lot of specifically white suburban parents, is the reason why they're confused and perplexed about why they're having all this racial training, why everyone's so focused on race They think that, okay, well, they're angry that their ancestors were slaves. They're angry about what my ancestors or even other white people's ancestors did to them. No, they're angry about what they think you personally have done to them. You personally support a systemic racist country. You personally support systems that are explicitly racist and keep black people back. You are at fault, not your ancestors, not your neighbors, not the racist rednecks five counties over in the woods. You specifically, the suburban middle class, middle aged mom, you are responsible for every, every bit of suffering that black people face. And this your is, kid is responsible. Yeah, too. Your kid is responsible because he was born white
1: and because he may choose you know, a white doll over a black doll when he gets a, a couple months older.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, that that would prove that he's actually transgender, secretly transgender, and you need to <laughs> you, you need you need to address that when he's uh, when he's young. Make sure he transitions. That that would that would be their argument with that.
1: Why can't we just have nice things? Why can't our kids be allowed to go to a normal school and not get sex and race shoved down their throats? Why are they so? I mean, we know why. We know why they are so determined to go after the kids because when you take over the kids, I think it was one of the Nazis, right, who said, "You know, give me their children, and I will control their futures." I think it was the Nazi who said that. It was the. It wasn't okay. Yeah, it wasn't Goebbels. It was. It was actually the guy with the bad mustache.
2: So, some a lot of parents have actually been waking up, and they've been they've been there. There's recall efforts going on in Fairfax County and Loudoun County. They're attempting. There's nine school board members in Loudoun County. They're currently going through the process of collecting signatures to recall six of the nine. In Fairfax County, they're trying to recall all but one. And in Fairfax County, it's mainly because they kept schools closed for an entire year. This is from the Braddock Buzz. It's a local little blog. They interviewed the lady who's behind the Fairfax County recall. Dee O'Neill was a single mom juggling parenting, private tutoring, and flexible contract work with a political resume consisting of a single item. She'd once made calls on behalf of a Democratic school board candidate. So this is your typical normie, hardworking mom who's a single mom trying to juggle child rearing and making a living. She's not overtly political. The only political activism that she'd ever done was making calls on behalf of a Democratic school board member. But in late 2020, her outrage over pandemic school closures boiled over and she founded the Open FCPS Coalition, which is waging recall campaigns against three school board members. The Drainsville District's Elaine Tholen, Springfield's Laura Jane Cohen, and at-large member Abrar Omeish. Omeish, I guess I'm pronouncing that right. Last month, the coalition hit a major milestone, surpassing the 3,600 signatures required for a recall filing against Tholen. The recall process in Virginia is murky, and there are a few precedents, but at the very least, Tholen has to defend her record before a Fairfax County circuit judge. they got to get at least 10% in signatures of the people who voted in the school board member's district in the last election. So if a school board member's district had 10,000 people show up in the last election and vote, they've got to get 1,000 signatures. Once they reach 10%, then it goes to a circuit court judge. And then the circuit court judge holds a hearing. I think the judge can choose to refuse it and throw it out, which if it's a Democratic judge, he probably will. Most likely. But if he wants to, he can hold a hearing and decide, determine whether or not the school board member violated his or her duty as a school board member. And if the judge decides they did then they go on, and then you have a recall election or a uh, – what would you call it? Uh, not a recall election. A special election, and you reelect a new school board member. So it's, it's probably not going to get anywhere, but it is impressive that they have managed to collect enough signatures for at least one of these candidates. It's also and,
1: interesting that, as you noted, the woman behind it literally used to be a Democratic activist.
2: Yeah, like, and in fact, in the interview, they asked her why she founded Open FCPS Coalition, and she said, you know, I'm just a regular parent. I'm a member of a couple of open school groups, and I attended rallies in the fall and summer last year. One day, I was just like, I've had it. This is uh, morally wrong. I felt that it was deeper than just people being cautious. Other states were doing the right thing by their kids, and we were not. At first, I suggested we do a lawsuit, but it took us about 10 minutes to realize a lawsuit was going to cost too much money that we didn't have. So we thought, why don't we do recalls? Now I'm thinking a lawsuit might have been easier. So they asked her if she'd ever been involved in politics or political organizing. She said, not really. I helped with one or two school board campaigns, doing calls and stuff like that. Funnily enough, when I helped with the school board in the past, it was for a Democrat. And now everyone's like, you guys are going after the school board because you hate Democrats. I considered myself politically dialed in, but I guess I wasn't when it came to the school board. I honestly did not have a clue when we decided to do a recall that the entire board was made up of Democrats. And when you look at the voting patterns of Northern Virginia, you would, look, you would assume that You know, 80, 90 percent of the people here are hardcore, dyed in the wool, vote blue, no matter who Democrats. But when you get out and talk to people, you find that's just not the case. What you have in the in the D.C. area is you have a very politically dialed in vocal minority that they are active every single local and federal election. They get involved in state politics where they live. They get involved in, in every single down to the city council, the county commissioner's race, and they make sure that they are vocally active in the Democratic primaries so that every single Democratic candidate that makes it to the general election is a dyed-in-the-wool progressive.
1: And you can bet these same people are also very active on social media. Oh yes, oh yes, yeah. Not, not again. A lot of parents probably are not. I'm willing to bet a lot of parents still to this day probably are not on Twitter. They they just think of it as oh that platform that Trump used to use.
2: Yeah, they don't they don't uh, pay much attention at all. They might watch the local news at night whenever they come home from work or whatever. They might read and they'll read the headlines of major news source like Associate Press. They might watch a little CNN, but for these people, the people who are dialed in, you got to remember it being the nation's capital. There's, there's hundreds of political think tanks in this area, consulting firms in this area.
1: Lobbying groups.
2: Yes, exactly. So if you're a Democrat, if you're a progressive in, let's say, in Arlington County, Fairfax County, and you want to run for school board, you have unlimited access to the best consultant, political consultants in the entire world. You have access to the best political operatives in the entire world. And oftentimes a lot of these political operatives, because they're progressives, they're not doing it just for the money. They're doing it for the cause.
1: They actually believe in the cause.
2: Whereas on the right. If you're – let's say if you're a conservative, first of all, you can't be too conservative or the consultants and the political operatives on the right around D.C. won't work for you. you you've got
1: you to be like a Chandler Thornton, you know, the college republicans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They'll be. feel
2: like you'll ruin their reputation if they work for you and you, they have you on their resume. So they won't work for you. So you have to be a moderate if you are on the right.
1: You can't be one of those conservatives. Right.
2: But secondly, even if you are a moderate and even if you do manage to find really good consultants and really good political operatives – They're interested, the reason why they're Republicans isn't because they believe in any kind of cause. They're Republicans because they believe in making money. They see the American dream as getting rich and making it big. They're interested in money, they're interested in power, they're interested in influence. And so if you're not gonna pay them gobs of money, they're not going to work for you. They'll go work for someone who will pay them gobs of money, and they're perfectly fine if it's a you know, private industry or whatever doing um, you know, non-political work. They just want to make the money. And this is the difference between the, the Democratic operatives and the Republican operatives. So you have these local candidates for school board, for county commissioner, what have you, uh, for sheriff in northern Virginia. They have unlimited access to all of this brain capital in D.C. So they're able to dominate the Democratic primaries. And then in the general election, they're able to use these consultants, to use these operatives to mollify their message in such a way to where they speak to the progressives and let the young progressives know that they're their guy or they're their gal. And then they're also able to speak to the normy moderate independents in these counties with kids who are working parents and let them know that they're just normal, common sense people who want to do good by the students. So they care about students. They care about education. They want to prepare the next generation for the future, yada, yada, yada. So they're able to micro-target these certain demographics and make sure that each demographic doesn't hear anything they're not supposed to hear. So they don't tell these parents – when these people ran for school board, because all these people were elected, they didn't tell these parents that are outraged, hey, we're going to introduce critical race theory to your kids. Of course, parents wouldn't have known what critical race theory is at the time. But even if they explained it, you know, they're not going to explain to these parents this is what we're going to do when we get elected or we're going to – we support letting boys go into girls' bathrooms. Of course no, not. No, what they would do is they would cloak it in terms that parents, it, you, think, think about a busy. They
1: say, they say that we're tolerant and equal. We will support tolerance of all genders, and you know we'll we'll teach about you know racial justice. They'll make it sound mm-hmm.
2: pretty. And the parents thinking, oh that, that that's nice. I believe in equity too. I, pl- I think that all races should be respected. I think everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation, that they should be respected. That, that's good. I, I agree with that. Okay, I'll vote for it. And now these parents are like, wow, where's all this coming from? My my little girl is going to potentially get uh, get molested when she goes to the bathroom by this boy who wants to pretend he's a girl so he can go in there and molest little girls. And there's nothing I can do about it. And they've got to say, nope, there's nothing to do about it, because the Democrats took when they took control of the legislature, they ran on this. They'd said they were going to do this and exactly. you weren't paying attention. And, and, and
1: wh- like, my kid is now going to be taught that he's racist just because of the color of his skin and that he should disavow me and his grandfather, grandparents, just because they're all white.
2: Yeah. And the, and the Democrats who are elected, they're like, we ran on this stuff. We told you what we were going to do. And you weren't paying attention. So guess what? There's nothing you can do about it. You can take your kid out and pay for private school if you want, but that's expensive. And you know, it, 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 you're still gonna pay taxes. That's the thing. You can roll your kid in private school, but you're still gonna pay taxes and pay our salaries, whether you do or not. Every single politician who has equity in their platform. What equity means with these people is reparations, restorative and reparative justice. What that means is if everything you take the uh, intersectional uh, – I guess what would you call it like the, the – you know how you got the food chart, the federally approved uh, food pyramid. The, you yeah. kind of have the intersectional oppressive pyramid. What they want to do is they want to make sure that every group that was a little bit above another group in the historical pyramid that they've created in their minds – but get an extra hand up because they've been historically oppressed. And, you know, of course, obviously, if your kid is white and male, they're, they're going to now be at the very bottom because they have historically been at the top. doesn't matter if they're six years old, just because of their of their sex and because of their race, they are automatically privileged. And this is stuff that these people ran on. But it's just like uh, like in Loheimer's book, in Lieutenant Colonel Lowheimer's book that we covered, when he talks about critical race theory and the equity initiatives, these people will use buzzwords. That the average person has no clue what they mean or they mean something to the average person that mean complete, something completely different to the person that's using them. And that's how these people are able to get this stuff through. And Even the, the time, idea
1: of critical race theory itself, like the phrase critical race theory doesn't sound so terrible. It's, it sounds like one of those academic terms like, oh, you probably have to have an education to know what that means. What it does sound so bad.
2: Yeah, it's like Bill Mars said in his, uh, his interview with Ben Shapiro. He said uh, the average person knows that it's a theory and they know it's about race but and that's that about critical. it <laughs> and, and in the polls in the polls that they've taken uh, you know it's like 45% of Americans have no clue what it means and here we are this is the biggest issue in politics and most people don't have any idea what it means until the democrats can be voted out and you can get a, a you know hopefully Youngkin gets elected and he can repeal that law then this is just something people have to live with but the thing is it didn't have to come this far what should have happened last summer is all of these parents that are upset about critical race theory, they should have been getting in the streets demonstrating against Black Lives Matter. And they would have known to do that if the intellectual right had been preparing people at the grassroots level for years, starting back with Trayvon Martin, on what Black Lives Matter is. But typically what happens is people on the right, the intellectual right, the donor class, they ignore race. They pretend that race doesn't exist. They live in this fantasy whereby We're all colorblinds. There's no historical differences, and there's also no historical clashes over interpretations of history. And what you end up getting from that is riots, and then you have an NAACP member at the Fairfax County School Board saying that people who don't agree with their kids being belittled because of their race should die. And It's all
1: because yeah you know, they they can live they're, they're free to live colorblind all they want. Yes, you know you know I I don't want to discriminate against anybody and that's fine that's that's good for you. But the left doesn't live like that. That this new this cultural left this cultural revolution that's underway it is operating under the assumption that there are differences between the races.
2: And so the question may be. <clears throat> and so the question may be, OK, how do parents who are working parents who are just trying to live their lives and just live normal lives, not bother anybody, just raise their kids to have a good education and be good citizens, how do they combat this and still you know, not give up anything? Well, you have to attack it as if it's a, it's a cancer. When you have this ideology that believes in leveling all of society, all social classes, you know, completely leveling uh, even even sex itself, completely. You're, you can be any gender. You can be a male on Monday, a female on Tuesday, back to being a male on Wednesday. When you have an ideology like that, you have to root out that ideology where, wherever it exists. And just to give one example, if you're, let's say, if you're a parent and you want to make sure that this stuff doesn't get into your school, you need to pay attention to people who are running for school board, focus on their campaign literature. If they mention the word equity, in any of their campaign literature, in any of their speeches, they need to be dealt with. You need to make sure that they lose their primary. If they don't lose their Democratic primary, you need to make sure that you mobilize against them and make sure that they lose the general election. Because if they have equity in any of their material, if they say the word equity in any of their speeches they agree with this whole agenda they agree with letting boys go into girls bathrooms they agree with uh, reparations to black people they agree with belittling white people for being white they agree with making sure that asian americans aren't allowed to achieve their full potential and this is one thing this is why at thomas jefferson high school enrollment of asian americans has gone down since they eliminated the entrance exam but if they use the word equity in any of their literature or speeches, you know that they're they're the enemy and they have to be dealt with they have to be defeated at the at the polls.
1: So you mentioned earlier at one point you briefly brought up uh my favorite right-wing commentator, Ben Shapiro. That's sarcasm by the way for those of you guys who still don't know. Yeah, that, that's our next topic by the way. This is oh, when I when I saw this. Oh, goodness. I think I talked about this a little bit in my origin story episode episode 10 that I used to be a huge Ben Shapiro fanboy. Emphasis on used to. I am not a fan of Ben Shapiro anymore. So, he was on Bill Maher's show on a panel with, of course, Bill Maher was the host, and his rival, if you will, they had several debates over the course of the episode, is a guy named Malcolm Nance. I didn't really know who this guy was until recently. The most I can gather, I was told, uh, he was described to me quite accurately. I think is he basically thinks he's a Black Jack Ryan, you know, he thinks the the character from the Tom Clancy novel. He he thinks that he is a national security counterterrorism intelligence expert because I guess he has some brief experience in the Department of Defense. I'm not sure under which administration, but. He's an older guy. He's written a bunch of books, I guess, and he's, he makes all the rounds, especially during the Trump years. He was just like these other losers like Alexander Vinman or uh, Miles Taylor, the author of the anonymous I Am the Resistance "I the Trump administration from the government op-ed like in the New York Times. Like these absolute clowns, these busboys who think they are experts and think that they are, have like medals of honor basically. And they go – and of course MSNBC and all these people eat them right up. And they had a couple of debates. So the the one that's been going, the one that people were sharing the most is they debated on critical race theory. Malcolm Nance is black, by the way, for context. So because that obviously plays into this. So critical race theory, they had a debate on it, and everyone's saying, "Oh yeah, Ben Shapiro mopped the floor with him," and and yes, on paper by the words, yes, Ben Shapiro mopped the floor with Malcolm X. He, Malcolm X. <laughs> he wishes he were Malcolm X. Excuse me. Malcolm Nance. He might wiped the floor with him because he pointed out, you know, critical race theory, all the problems with it. And you know, it's, it's all about it's very much drawn to, you know, white people are bad. America is systemically racist. White people are racist, et cetera, et cetera. And Nance is just he basically acted like Kamala Harris in the vice presidential debate with Mike Pence last year, you know, being dismissive and rude and giggling and laughing and just ad hominem attacks and making fun of Ben Shapiro's podcast and and no no facts whatsoever. He contradicted himself at some points. Like, at one point, he agreed with Ben Shapiro's definition of what critical race theory is. And later in the same argument, he said, oh, no, that's not critical race theory. He contradicted himself. Total non-argument. But, of course, it didn't help that Mar's audience just are just clapping and barking like seals for everything that Malcolm Nance says, even if it's just a, a straight-up insult and not a single clap for Ben Shapiro. Even when Bill Marr himself took Shapiro's side a couple times, at one point, he sa- a couple points, he said... Um, well, if critical race theory is all about teaching kids all about race, I'm not for that. If critical race theory is all about collective guilt of white people, I'm not, about, I'm not for that, which, you know, again, Bill Maher, he has some moments of sensibility. It's actually very, very refreshing. But even then, you know, the audience is going nuts for Nance. But that's what everyone is sharing. What they are not sharing, this is what it should be sharing from the same episode. At a certain point, they talked about January 6th. And this is what Malcolm Nance had to say.
0: <laughs> but let's talk about bare facts. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy, Donald Trump, who literally tried to suborn, um, you know, uh, who has probably suborned perjury in order to overthrow a duly elected government, and managed to mobilize 40,000 people, right, to lay siege to the Capitol, oh, where accurate. over a thousand or more entered the building, destroyed parts of the building, fought physically. Law enforcement there in order to stop American democracy
1: now to stop the stealing of American democracy Malcolm but I digress <laughs> I don't know about you oh and I don't know about you Malcolm but apparently you're pro-police now you know I, I'm pretty sure this guy is also because he's also in all in on black lives matter and defunding the police but now when uh-huh. but like, this is the same thing with the left in general suddenly when it's it's beneficial to them to be pro-police you know the Capitol police the, who aren't even really if the testimony of some of those officers ran indication they're not real police officers but once again I digress
0: But I've been around a little bit, and I've seen some dictators and warlords and authoritarians. That is authoritarianism. You can't say some guys are writing on Twitter and they made, you know, Sean King want to sell his house. That's, like you say, it's just gossip, right? Twitter will not kill you unless you use that social pressure in order to achieve an action on the street, and believe
1: well, me, I, I'm going to address that in a minute. Okay, but I want uh, uh, yeah, to. You, you can answer this first. Thank please. you. So, so Mar hints it over to Shapiro. And what do you, what do you guys think Ben Shapiro is going to say? You think he's, because he's, he's the master debater, right? What's he going to say? Is he going to, is he going to dispute the facts about January 6th, or the facts, quote unquote, going to give the facts about January six? Is he going to call Malcolm Nance out? No, no, no. He's going to do what Ben Shapiro does. He's going to virtue signal and fence sit. I appreciate it. Uh, A couple of quick things. One, 40,000 people did not assault the Capitol. Okay, it's just factually inaccurate. There are maybe 1,000 people that is not making light of the evil of those people who all will end up rotting in prison, as they should. Evil? (laughs) The evil? And they will be rotting in prison for the rest of their lives, as (laughs) they should. Jacob help me out here because yes the left has gone insane over what happened on January 6th which I still maintain to this day factually correctly was a peaceful protest that's what it was it was a peaceful protest a little bit of rambunctiousness but it was not cities being burned to the ground like we saw last year the left has called these people terrorists the left has said they're traitors they're insurrectionists whatever whatever never heard of an unarmed
2: insurrection but okay has anyone on the left gone so far as to call them evil I haven't heard that. So the little old granny with the bag of hat who walked in and opened through an open door because the door was open and the police were standing by allowing the protesters to walk in, ushering them in. She should rot in prison.
1: Yeah. Or or the dude <laughs> the, the boomer dude just sitting at Nancy Pelosi's desk, kicking his feet up on the desk like laughing, you know, throwing up a peace sign for this pictures like that guy, yeah, that guy's evil. He, he's evil. Like what I think when you think of evil, most people think of the devil, they think of Lucifer naturally. Um genocidal maniacs, you know, Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, evil, but really? These people, these MAGA protesters, who I'm willing to bet quite a few of them, especially the boomers, the older people, are probably fans of you, Benny boy. Ben was on Fox News not too long ago. He was on that, um, the outnumbered program where it's four women and one dude. He was the one dude not too long ago. He still is on Fox News. You mentioned a little while ago about the politicians who pull what they pull with CRT and transgenderism, that they don't want certain facts about their beliefs to be heard by the people who should be voting for them they keep they keep them just out of the spotlight until they're elected ben is the same way he keeps these kinds of opinions why why do you think he's saying this on bill maher's show on hbo which you know this kind of content usually you have to pay for it's hbo you think he would for a second he would say this on fox news
2: oh no no no, not not. not
1: a chance would he say this on his podcast his radio show of course not no because those people a few of those people are your fans and as we have seen, as I've said, a lot of people are seeing, if they're seeing anything from this episode of Bill Marshall, they're seeing him destroy Malcolm Nance on Critical Race Theory, which is, is you know, good for him. Good for him. It, it's like debating a child. Again, Malcolm Nance is a literal child. He has no rhetoric. He's not a smart debater. He doesn't come across as a smart man. Again, he, he's fraudulent. He honestly is a fraudulent man, you know, overblowing his credentials. But then on this really crucial issue, this is an issue people care about. The amount of grassroots right-wing support among the base not organized from the top down by, like, public figures or anything. From the base, from the grassroots that are bringing awareness to what hap- is happening to those January 6th prisoners. They're political prisoners. They're being held in solitary confinement. They're being denied their rights to an attorney. Some of them are being beaten by the prison guards. And they're being se- facing extreme sentences for what? For trespassing? They're all being charged with trespassing at most. Not one of them has been charged with assault or terrorism or insurrection. Uh, But no, but according to Ben, and again, this is something you wouldn't even hear from the left, but this is one of the leading right wing commentators. This guy has like what the most popular conservative podcast, according to him, at least. You know, the truth about Ben Shapiro is told by Ben Shapiro. He's constantly the number one. I think we talked about this in our interview with uh, Tom Papert of National File. Facebook will shadow boost this guy Mm -hmm,
2: more than any other
1: conservative. Constantly like top 10 lists of most popular Facebook posts and sponsor posts. From any conservative, like the only other one who maybe comes close is Dan Bongino. But this guy is constantly being promoted by Facebook, Daily Wire, all over the place. And this is what he thinks about Trump supporters. They are evil and deserve to rot in prison for the rest of their lives. They don't get to see their family anymore. Nothing, Their family, will, they will eventually die in prison, leave behind kids, grandkids, nephews, nieces, brothers, sisters, spouses, I just, everybody should share this. Everyone needs, and believe me, we're posting links in the description below for this one especially. This guy is not conservative. He is not on your side. This is what he thinks of all Trump supporters. Keep in mind, this guy was never for Trump. He was a never-Trumper. In 2016, he was all, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton the same thing, folks, okay? There's no difference between the two of them. You might as well not vote at the top of the ticket, folks. Might as well not vote at the top of the ticket. They're the same person. They're both terrible and disgusting. And I don't like Donald Trump. And he's disgusting. And... Also, what needs to be taken into consideration on the same thread is he clearly doesn't support what they did. He doesn't support. Ask yourself this. Does he even support the crucial motive, the one motivating factor behind why the protesters did what they did, which you know what it is, Jacob? Why? Obviously, we know why they protested at the Capitol. No, he doesn't support that at all. Exactly. He doesn't believe the election was stolen. Ha- has When was the last time any Daily Wire article talked about voter fraud? The stuff coming out of Georgia right now, you'll see it at websites like Just the News, you know, John Solomon's website. You'll see it at Breitbart every now and then. There is more and more proof coming out every day. That the election was stolen, certainly in Georgia. Tucker Carlson said this on his show. There was clear proof that if nothing else, the election in Georgia, not only the presidential level, but the two Senate elections which decided control of the upper chamber. There was voter fraud last year. And yes, this version will be cut out of our YouTube release because YouTube does not accept this. They could literally you could have confessions all across the board tomorrow from Democratic lawmakers saying, yes, we cheated to steal the election, and they would still fact-check it and say that's false information.
2: Well, it's, it, it's because they believe that it's dangerous for Republicans to win and that Republicans have to be defeated yeah. by any means necessary. Yeah. And they're willing oh, to they, lie, cheat, oh, they, steal. It doesn't matter.
1: It was OK. This is Scott Adams said this a while ago, that they would be willing to you know cheat and steal to stop the man that they believe is literally Hitler. But again, mm-hmm. Shapiro doesn't buy this stuff. He is not in tune with what the base wants. He doesn't care about you guys. He doesn't care about Trump voters. He wants to go back to Bush-era neoconservatism to foreign policy, intervention overseas. Uh, Yeah, okay, he's good on social issues. Yeah, he is very firmly against transgenderism. He's against abortion. Good for him. But at the end of the day, he does not agree with the vast majority. He doesn't agree with protectionism. He's all about free trade. You know, he doesn't want to crack down on big tech and monopolies. He had that debate with Tucker Carlson, you know, let the free market work, everything out, folks. He does not support what you believe in. He does not support your guy. He wants nothing more than for the Trump movement to just go away. And if Mm -hmm. locking up a couple thousand MAGA protesters, peaceful protesters who did nothing wrong. They didn't attack anybody. They didn't kill anybody. They didn't even so much as break a window, much less burn anything down. Then what does he think about the movement as a whole? He thinks it's repugnant.
2: Well, what he's doing here is what a lot of conservatives do who are in conservatism for the fiscal aspects of it or possibly the foreign policy don't really care that much about the social issues or the nationalistic issues like immigration. The culture war. They don't care about the culture war. What they'll do is whenever they're in a debate with a leftist is they're, when they're confronted with some bad behavior by someone on the right or nominally on the right is before they address the root – before they go back to the main topic is they first of all has to have to disavow that person.
1: They disavow. I'm not like them. Yeah, right. He doesn't lead in with – well, he did lead in initially with, oh, you're wrong about this, but he buried the lead in favor of I'm going to condemn – go out of my way to condemn these people who are on the same side as me.
2: If you remember, the very first interview in which Ben Shapiro really got big was with Pierce Morgan over the Second Amendment. Gun control after uh, Sandy Hook, yeah. Yeah, and it was right after Pierce Morgan had that famous interview with Alex Jones. (laughs) And Pierce, during the interview with Ben Shapiro, was just – all he said was, well, as I was telling Alex Jones, he was just trying to relate what he had told Alex Jones. And rather than letting him finish his sentence, Shapiro cuts in and says, don't let me in with Alex Jones. And Shapiro uh, and several times. Yeah. Pierce is like, OK, well, as I was telling Alex Jones, uh, don't don't lump me in with Alex Jones. Like, well, I'm not lumping you in with him. I'm just telling you as are you I going was to telling me Alex make my points. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. They have to anytime uh, anytime people who are on the respectable right feel like they're being lumped in with people that they don't respect on the right who are maybe a couple of classes below them. They haven't been to the same Ivy League schools that they've been. They've got to immediately disavow, like I disavow, 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 and then and then they can finally move on to the point. If Shapiro, all he had to do was say, "Well, what does this have to do with critical race theory or whatever they were talking about?" Like he could have just deflect it if he didn't, if he even if he wanted to hide. But he's not even interested in hiding because he has to show he has to signal to all the leftists watching Bill Maher's show that don't they don't they don't need to lump him in with people like those uh, those January Six protesters.
1: And of course, they still did not clap for him like they didn't clap for him once. The audience never clapped for Shapiro in the entirety of any of these clips I've seen, but also fundamentally because he at the end of the day, what else is he going to do other than dispute the numbers? All it comes down to is disputing the (laughs) numbers of how many people he's not the main argument. Nance was making wasn't even how many people assaulted the Capitol. Was it 40,000? Was it 39,000? The argument he's making is Donald Trump is an authority. He's a warlord. He's a cult leader. He committed violence. He used Twitter to try to kill people. And Shapiro can't even go that far to say that's absurd. You're being ridiculous Mm -hmm. because that would involve defending Donald Trump. And he doesn't like Donald Trump Period. He never has and never will. And yeah, people. there are people that Daily Wire. People say, oh, there's good people at the Daily Wire who do support Trump. You know, Andrew Clavin, Michael Knowles, Candace Owens. And yeah, th- those are good people. They support Trump. But this is the head guy. And this is why when people ask me, it's the same with The Blaze. People say, Eric, why don't you like The Blaze? I say two words. Glenn Beck. All right? It's Glenn Beck's outfit. He is a never-Trumper. He always was and always will be. Same with Daily Wire. Ben Shapiro. He was one of the most vocal never-Trumpers. And again, this is why a coworker of mine suggested this to me the other day. This is why he doesn't get in trouble with the left. This is why the New York Times will run a glowing story declaring Ben Shapiro to be a quote conservative gladiator. They'll they'll write fondly of him. They won't write hit pieces on him like they did with, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos or more provocative culture warriors from the right. They will they want someone like this. Who will disavow Trump and call Trump's borders evil? They want this to be the face of the right. Mm-hmm. That is the definition of controlled opposition.
2: Yep, he's not a threat to their worldview and their vision of America and the world. And that's that's why he, he's like they're fine with a, a right existing. They're, they don't want a single party system.
1: They want a Romney Shapiro. Bush era mm-hmm. right. They don't. They they are terrified of the idea of a right in the mold of what Donald Trump started and what Donald Trump is still leading, or others like Ron DeSantis at this point.
2: But just one more point on this is here's the, here's why the intellectual right tends to lose the, uh, to the intellectual left is because whenever you confront the intellectual left with what the Black Lives Matter rioters did into this this past summer or summer 2020, they'll ask you why were these people rioting? What's the root cause of their anger? You ask someone on the intellectual right about the January 6th protesters rather than ask why they were angry, what the cause of their rage was. They immediately disavow, immediately attack those protesters without offering any explanation and just – they'll tell you straight up there's no justification for what they did. And they won't even discuss the root causes. So as long as the intellectual left has the backs of the rank-and-file Folks at the str- on the street level on the left
1: and keeps bailing them out and publicly promoting, hey, donate here to the bail fund for the Minneapolis mm-hmm. protesters and not riders. They're protesters. They treat their radicals like they are one of them. They don't turn their backs on them. They let them go. Whereas the right and, and there are some exceptions. I actually did see another article that uh, uh, Dinesh D'Souza and his wife donated about a hundred thousand dollars to the January Six Family Fund, which specifically goes him. to financially aiding the families of prisoners not the prisoners themselves which that would be nice but in this case it's to the families like because a, quite a few of them are working men and women who provide for their families and their families obviously are without uh, a breadwinner right now so this is giving money to help them support you know their kids going to school or whatever and, and good for them and that's great applause for the D'Souza's that's good we need to see more of that and less of rhetoric like this guy from the so-called leader of the right I don't want to hear it and if you guys thought I was going to calm down after that, you are wrong, because next up for our main topic, we had to do this. We, You know, we had to do it to him. There's nobody else worth talking about right now more than uh, the Michael Corleone of New York, or at least he wishes he was Andrew Cuomo, guys. Oh, goodness gracious. So, yeah, this is as of the recording of this, he res- announced his resignation yesterday. I had to look outside to check for pigs flying. I had to check to see if there were uh, snowballs in hell that weren't melting right away. He he resigned, guys. He is out. Andrew Cuomo is no more. He announced his resignation effective uh, 14 days after the fact. So he announced it on August 10th. So he will presumably at this point step down on August the 24th, 2021. So uh, let me let me go ahead and just get my roasting out of the way. I'm going to get the roasting out of the way real quick, because we talked about this guy once before that, you know, he was responsible for the the nursing, the deaths of thousands of senior citizens in New York in nursing homes via his disastrous covid policies. We'll come back to that later. But this guy's a scumbag. I'm going to take this moment. We're going to dance on his political grave here because he deserves it. I think if nothing else, it needs to be pointed out. This this is one of my favorite observations. It's so clear that a lot of people in that family are trying so hard to be like each other. You know, you remember that viral video of Chris Cuomo, his younger brother, the CNN, the Mickey Mouse host on CNN, getting enraged when someone called him Fredo, because, of course, they're comparing him. I referenced it already. They're comparing him to the Godfather character, right? Mm-hmm. You have the, the youngest of the three brothers that's Michael Corleone, Al Pacino, who becomes the vicious, ruthless Don of the family after the dad dies and his older brother, the middle son, is Fredo, and he's, he's dumb, he, he's polite and well-meaning, and he, he cares about people, he's very compassionate, he's got a heart of gold, but he's dumb, and he's he's not ruthless, he's not calculating, and he is the one who's being always sent off, send Fredo to do this, send Fredo to do that, send Fredo to look after some Mickey Mouse nightclub somewhere! And he's just infuriated <laughs> that he's not, that he was stepped over for Don of the Family, and of course this leads to him betraying the family in the second film, which, personal opinion I think is better than the first, but that's just me, and of course Michael has him assassinated. So the idea that, of course, younger Chris Cuomo is feels inferior to his older brother, the governor of New York. And that's why he got so mad. He freaked out at that guy. And now like everybody on the right calls him Fredo because we know it bothers him. And it's true. That's why he got so mad. You can tell it bothered him. He knew right away. It wasn't because Fredo was the Italian equivalent of the N-word. It's because he knew people were pointing out his inferiority to his brother. In a lot of the same ways, I really do think Andrew Cuomo was trying so hard to be his dad. You know, his father was Mario Cuomo. His father served three terms as governor of New York before him, and he was seeking a fourth term in 1994. Of course, as we all know, 1994 was a very bad year for Democrats, and one of the biggest victories that year was in the New York governor's race when he was challenged and narrowly defeated by like a three-point margin by a Republican by the name of George Pataki, and he was denied for his fourth term. So Cuomo, especially after coronavirus, he was widely seen with all his daily briefings bolstered by Fox cuz as we said you know Fox is based in New York so of course they're going to cover everything Cuomo does cuz they're a bit biased towards it. He was propped up by the media and late night comedians and social media as he this is he's the shadow president. He's the real leadership we're not getting from Donald Trump and when they were preparing for the possibility that Biden and Harris would lose I mean, uh, they clearly knew Biden and Harris wouldn't lose because they had the game rigged from the start. But under the assumption that maybe Trump overcame the voter fraud and still won a second term, they were prepared for Cuomo to be the next standard bearer. Nakamala Harris, they wanted Cuomo to be the nominee in 2024 to save us from the Trump era and bring real leadership, just like he did to New York. And he knew this. And his approval ratings were really high. He got Emmy and everything. And he the media even covered up and let him skate on the nursing home thing. And he was cruising towards a fourth term in 2022. He's like, yeah, I am going to win the fourth term that my father never had. Well, Andy, all I can say to you is this, buddy. At least your daddy finished his third term. <laughs> you don't even get to finish your third term, buckaroo. Get out of here. So no, you're, he's a scumbag. Andrew Cuomo can't, could not have happened to a nicer guy. You know, because as they say, for those who make all the Godfather references, you may be the Michael Corleone, but anyone who's seen the third movie, as bad as it is, knows that it does not end well for Michael Corleone either. So let's just kind of recap what happened here. So last week, we had the state attorney general of New York, Letitia James, came out with a report after weeks of investigation. After allegations of sexual harassment and even occasional sexual assault were made by multiple, increasingly, like one woman first and then a second, and then it just piled on and on and on, kind of like, you know, like with Herman Cain or Roy Moore or Kavanaugh, where they seem, it seems like it could be politically motivated. Some of them could be full of it, some of them could be real. But 11 women ultimately came out to accuse him, some remaining anonymous, and multiple inquiries were opened up. There are several criminal investigations underway, and the state attorney general confirmed she would investigate it. She released her report in a press conference last week where she ultimately confirmed that her office found that Cuomo harassed at least, at least confirmed, sexually harassed 11 women, most of them on the younger side, of course, and some of them current employees for him, as well as one who was a female state trooper. So yeah, I, I guess he really likes the police. He doesn't want to abolish the police just yet. You know, <laughs> he's. But it, it was really just brutal stuff. And I mean, nothing like – nothing as bad as like what Kavanaugh was accused of as like outright rape, but definitely lots of really creepy stuff and groping and just disgusting comments. But he came out that same day with a very cringe video. It's, it's one of the things you have to see to believe, but he came out with a video basically saying, you know, I deny all of this. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I am Italian. I love to, you know, I, I kiss a lot of people on the face and on the head. I, he, he actually, with this video, a pre-recorded video, by the way, he showed pictures of himself Kissing and hugging famous people, Bill Clinton, Al Sharpton, uh, Al Gore, women, people on the street, old veterans, and he's like, I have kissed the faces of white people and black people, of straight and gay, famous people, people on the street young and old and it was pointed out to me at the part in the video where he said young there was a long awkward pause after he said the word young because he probably realized eh, that might not have been the best thing to say but I, it's in the script and i already said it so i'll just go with it so but it, and he denied everything he basically said oh it's my culture i'm italian i say ciao bella to people you know <laughs> yeah, i'm italian you know it's like he really is trying hard i guess if nothing else to you know compete with anthony fauci for the most disgraceful italian on the planet earth right now <laughs> but nobody bought it. We've got the Cuomo
2: brothers, we've got Fauci, we've got the Blasio. I don't know. They're just, they're not sending their, they're not producing their best anymore. We
1: need to shut down on immigrants from Italy. Okay, just kidding. Um, no, these guys make the mafia look good. I mean, and spoiler alert, with the nursing home thing, it's pretty safe to say that Cuomo has a higher body count than any mafia boss in American history, but I digress. So, nobody bought it. No one bought his counter-argument. He was mocked mercilessly in the media and everybody turned on him. Joe Biden... Nancy Pelosi, and both senators from New York, Kirsten Gillibrand, and, of course, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer all called on him to resign. Speaker of the New York State Assembly, Carl Heastie, uh confirmed that they were going to speed up there. They were already looking to impeachment inquiries with the initial allegations, but then after a report, they basically ex- expedited that and were like, yeah, we're really looking to do it now. I think like a majority of Democrats in both houses, the state Senate and state assembly, said they were in favor of impeachment. And that's not even taking into account the Republicans who were in the minority. But of course, you can imagine every Republican would vote in support of that. So it looked like he a Nixon situation. He They definitely had the votes and they were going to remove him. And he kept saying over and over again, I'm not going to resign. I've did nothing wrong. I will not resign. Then on Tuesday... I'm resigning. You know, I think it's best. The best way I can help now is if I step aside. And he gave the speech where he's like, we did so much good for New York. He talked about the coronavirus. And this was a great side note, too. At one point, he just suddenly talked about the virus. And he said, this virus ambushed us. It came to our shores It came over here on planes from Europe. You know, he repeated the lie that it came from Europe, which he said that once before. He called it the European virus. But he talked about it like it was an invading army, like this is Red Dawn or something, and it was parachuting down into New York. But he just it was melodramatic, but he ultimately announced he will be resigning after two weeks. I remember seeing the initial signs that—I mean, certainly the report did not help in the calls for resignation. But then earlier in the week on Monday— Two of his biggest allies resigned before him. One was his top aide, Melissa DeRosa, who was the – she played a part in the attempted cover-up of the allegations and even smearing some of the victims, but also was the like key player in the nursing home scandal when it was ultimately revealed that his administration covered up the total number of nursing home deaths related to COVID. She was the one who – her statement was leaked to the press confirming that so she a real winner he's got there apparently he didn't harass her you know cuz she was she really was willing to cover up his crimes for him she resigned on monday and then also Roberta Kaplan the founder and CEO of Times Up one of the big you know pro me too groups that basically organizes legal help for you know alleged victims of famous people you know women who are accusing famous men of sexual harassment or whatever She a report confirmed that she had advised Cuomo and his administration on writing an op-ed that he was going to release smearing one of his accusers and and discrediting her accusations the op-ed ultimately was not published but the report confirmed that Kaplan did play a role in that so which obviously made her look like a giant hypocrite and she ultimately resigned on Monday they both resigned on Monday when that happened I started to think okay I think the walls are coming down around uh about around Camp Cuomo here. You know, Camp Cuomo is starting to look a little bit more like Guantanamo Bay at this point. But he, that, that was it. And sure enough, he resigned. He will not even finish his third term. He is done. You know, put a little bit of a Parmesan cheese on him. He, he's, he's, he is done. So what does this mean? We're, we're talking about Cuomo. Now, Cuomo is not going to be the main subject here. This is more of just a preface of the bigger question that I think needs to be asked and has already been discussed quite well. The bigger question that I think should be asked and needs to be discussed, which is, is this really the big story we want to talk about right now? Or is this just a distraction? I think in a lot of ways, this absolutely is a distraction. For one, this, yes, it's fun to dance on his political grave. He is a total jerk. He's a scumbag. He ran New York like a mafia boss. He literally is responsible for thousands of deaths. He deserves all the humiliation he's going to get. His political career is over. He's never going to be in politics in elected office again. But is this a win for Republicans? Absolutely not. What you have here is now the lieutenant governor, uh, Kathy Hochul, is going to be taking over for him. And of course, people are touting that she will be the first female governor of New York state, which, okay, yeah, congratulations. That is now forever going to be a technicality that the first female governor of New York was- Not elected. Not elected. You know, kind of like Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford was not elected. LBJ was not elected. But beyond that, assuming Cuomo stayed in, and maybe didn't get impeached. He narrowly survives the impeachment vote, whatever, narrowly wins the nomination again. You now have a really tainted candidate that nobody would touch going into the 2022 election. And yes, it's New York, but you never know, especially now that Biden is president and you know, the midterms always tend to favor the opposition party. And you have two fairly, at least two fairly strong candidates for the Republican nomination in that state. You have a Congressman Lee Zeldin and Andrew Giuliani. Yes, the son of Rudy Giuliani, who are running for that position. There may, who knows? Who knows? There could have been a chance that maybe against someone as toxic as Cuomo, seeking a fourth term, no less, but also with all this baggage, the nursing home stuff, everything, there could have been a shot now. Now, all you get is this woman is going to be the next governor. She probably is going to run again and would easily win that nomination. She's going to be able to wipe her hands clean. You know, again, it's so convenient that, you know, a woman replaces a guy who just got me too out of office. She easily wins. She's going to win that election, I think. I think there's now no shot that the Republicans are going to take that governor's seat. So all you get is one Democrat in New York state replaced with another Democrat. And the Democrats still have the majority in both houses. So politically, no, that's not a win for Republicans. And for Cuomo, is this is this even really a loss for Cuomo or is this a win? Something that a lot of people have mentioned is that this really does allow him to – it allows him to fall on the sword – for the lesser of the crimes he committed. Like, yeah, he was creepy with a bunch of women, okay. He killed thousands of people, literally tens of thousands of senior citizens. He killed them. He sent them to their death. This is someone that, not Donald Trump, this is someone who actually killed people with disastrous COVID policies.
2: Yeah, they were having like a thousand deaths a day, I think in New York City alone at some point last April. Mm -hmm. But
1: just even among the nursing homes as well, across the state. And the thing is that because he goes down for this, This is what the media remembers is that he was forced out of office by sexual harassment allegations, not that he was investigated because now that he's out of office, you better believe these investigations are going to drop. None of the women are going to actually press charges. They never do. You know, just like Roy Moore, just like Herman Cain. Once they drop out, they leave him alone and that's it. Just like Kavanaugh, the women aren't going to press charges. Letitia James basically announced she does not have the authority to prosecute. He's not going to be prosecuted when he leaves office. So in terms of the media perception it's going to be he fell on the sword for the sexual harassment allegations, not for the nursing home stuff, the actual borderline genocide. What does this mean is that, of course, he gets off the hook for that. And so do other Democratic governors around the country who have also done this, at least two confirmed: Gretchen Whitmer, another real winner in Michigan, and Tom Wolf in Pennsylvania also had similar scandals, with not quite to the same high degree in terms of the body count, but they also sent senior citizens to their deaths in nursing homes. And be, now because Cuomo gets off with it, because, you know, admittedly it's brushed off because of other crimes, that means no one is going to talk about the nursing home thing anymore. It's not going to get media coverage. It's not going to be media pressure. So Wolf and Whitmer are going to get off scot-free. It's you, There's not going to be pressure. If Cuomo had gone down for the nursing home thing, that could have started an avalanche against these other governors, but they're going to get off scot-free. So... The greater crime is covered up here. That's one thing. And one other thing that needs to be pointed out is that of course, Cuomo resigned on Tuesday. He now made his big announcement on Tuesday. What also happened on Tuesday? The United States Senate passed Biden's infrastructure bill, the Invest in America Act.
2: And nobody did, nobody pays attention to that now.
1: Nobody <laughs> pays attention. Of course not. Of course not. Nobody and not only did it pass, because it's a fifty-fifty Senate, it passed with 69 votes, 19 Republicans sided with the 50 Democrats to pass this disastrous $1 trillion bill, which, and we've talked about this before, it's not even really an infrastructure bill. It's called infrastructure. The media is going to call it infrastructure. It's more of a Green New Deal slash green energy bill, like global warming bill, with a little bit, I think, with some elements of amnesty thrown in there. It's not really about infrastructure. This is more about modernizing natural resources and, you know, green friendly cars and stuff like that. It's not really about fixing roads and bridges. I think they said about 500 billion of it will supposedly be dedicated to roads and actual infrastructure, but that is still half of what Trump wanted to do. And I'm harking back to a previous episode where we Uh, Responding to Biden's State of the Union and Tim Scott's response specifically, where Tim Scott, on behalf of the Republicans, said, oh, yo, Republicans are the party of infrastructure. Once again, I say to you, Tim Scott and the Republicans, where were you when Donald Trump came into office and campaigned on this before and after he won on? I want to pass a one trillion dollar infrastructure bill focusing exclusively on roads, bridges, highways, tunnels, airports. This is America first. Let's spend a fraction of what we spend on foreign wars. Right here, fixing the potholes
2: in America. They're more concerned about cutting the income taxes for their own personal income brackets. Right.
1: They shot it down because government spending bad, government spending bad. And now, once again, good job, you worthless Republicans. You not only let Biden run away with this. This is one more thing. As we've said on the pockets before, Biden and the Democrats can legitimately say to their voters, we took care of you. We passed this stuff for you as we said we would. The media is going to run cover for him. He basically has just been allowed to extend his honeymoon period. Just when it was getting a little bit rocky with some of the, the COVID stuff and inflation and whatnot, now suddenly, oh, no, Biden is great again. The, the narrative, of course, Washington is back to normal. The adults are back in the room because bipartisanship is allowed to happen. And he gets to run away with another part of his legacy that he wants to solidify as the next Eisenhower slash FDR slash Lyndon Johnson that I passed this ambitious spending bill. And we are going to take a moment here, of course, because it needs to be said. This wasn't because 19, 19 Republicans. People think a lot about the handful of the cuck Republicans, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, whatever. This is more than just that. Here's the full list. Roy Blunt, Missouri. Richard Burr, North Carolina. Shelley Moore Capito, West Virginia. Bill Cassidy, Louisiana. Susan Collins, Maine. Kevin Creamer, North Dakota. Mike Crapo, Idaho. Fitting last name. (laughs) Deb Fisher, Nebraska. Lindsey Graham, you know, the Fox favorite, South Carolina. Chuck Grassley, Iowa. He's still around. Hmm. John Hoven, North Dakota. Mitch McConnell, Kentucky. There it is right there. That's why the bill passed. If Mitch supports it, it's going to pass. Rob Portman, Ohio. James Rich, Idaho. Mitt Romney, Utah. Dan Sullivan, Alaska. Tom Tillis, North Carolina. Roger Wicker, Mississippi. So, yeah, you, you got Romney, you got Collins, you got Murkowski. You've got some of the usual suspects in there. But... Some quite a few of these Republicans aren't these aren't like hard, you know, moderate anti-Trumpers. And what I noticed is there's quite a few states here where both senators from those states voted in favor of this bill. Both senators from North Carolina, both senators from North Dakota, both senators from Idaho, both senators from Alaska. These aren't you know swing states. These are deep red rural states, North Dakota, Idaho. And these senators are voting for this thing. This and, and yes, of course, on top of that, you've got a couple of the lame duck senators, Roy Blunt retiring next year, Rob Portman. These people are retiring next year, Richard Burr. But at the end of the day, this is a broader problem. You can tell, obviously, with the states, especially the states where both senators voted for it, there's a lot of pork thrown into this bill. Obviously, they said, OK, we'll throw maybe $10 billion in for uh, this this reserve over here in North Dakota. And of course, oh, yeah, sure, both the senators are going to vote for that. We are sitting back and letting Biden not only run away with more victories that are going to solidify him in the history books and solidify him in the media, but he's redefining what these priorities should mean. Again, this isn't so much a bill for fixing the potholes in the road as it is green energy and you know updated energy compliance. It's some elements of the Green New Deal thrown in there. Now, of course, there's talk that the bill may ultimately still get held up in the House because a bunch of the House Democrats, the radicals, AOC and that crowd, will not vote on it until and unless the Senate passes their $3.5 trillion Reconciliation bill, which includes amnesty, it includes universal, like free kindergarten and free community college, a variety of other things. Again, more Green New Deal stuff, a truly radical spending bill that some publications have described as the most ambitious spending plan of the last 60 years. Obviously, in reference to Lyndon John- Linda Johnson, who, of course, Biden aspires to be like. The bottom line here is. We shouldn't be distracted by the juiciest stories. Yeah, the juicy story of oh, we get to see Andrew Cuomo's political head on a pike. Like, yeah, it's satisfying for a little while. It's juicy. It's the thing that Fox and all the right wing media is going to talk about all day because it's and and the jokes are strong. And yeah, let's make fun of Cuomo. But we should not miss. This is what Bannon would call the signal and the noise, right? You know, here's the signal over here to distract you from the noise over here. Mm-hmm. Don't be distracted from the serious shifts. That are happening right now politically. And Biden's only been in office six months and now he potentially has two major trillion dollar bills that he can say he passed in such a relatively short amount of time. He's already making quick work of stuff that Obama didn't even get passed in this
2: amount of time or even Trump for that matter. So it'd be one thing if the Republicans were going along with a bill that was actually a good bill that would that would help, you know, go toward critical infrastructure. It wasn't a care package to Democratic constituents. But this is – I mean that's essentially what this is. I mean there are – it does – like you mentioned, it provides about $500 billion towards roads and bridges. It uh, puts forward like uh, – I think it's $60 billion toward, uh, toward rail to improve rail transportation, uh, broadband b- uh, upgrade. That's good. Um, but one, th- one of the things that this bill does is they want to completely replace the yellow school buses. So the yellow school buses that we grew up with, they want to get rid of those and replace them with all electric school buses. So this is going to cost – it appropriates 5 billion for zero emissions and clean buses and 2.5 billion for ferries another thing that it does is it allegedly addresses racial discrimination infrastructure and this is one of the myths that's propagated by Black Lives Matter and a lot of black academics that the interstate system was racist yeah this is I don't know if you've ever heard this but the, I don't know if you knew this but the interstates are racist if you drive them oh, interstate. yeah
1: they, were, they 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 like cut off black neighborhoods or something like that
2: yeah yeah, yeah. so they allegedly separated a black neighborhoods from the rest of society and as a result black neighborhoods fell into decay.
1: Roads are racist. I wonder what libertarians would have to say about that.
2: <laughs> well, libertarians would be all for it. This is where they say, yeah, see, this is an area where we agree with the left on. We need to get rid of public roads. But th- So this includes a billion to reconnect communities. Now, this is allegedly to uh, destroy parks, uh, revamp uh, planning and design, and uh, reconstruct street grids so that way – these historic black communities will be reconnected with the city core. I mean, I guess that's what they're wanting to do. But the thing is, this was the the interstate system was built in the 50s, the 50s and 60s. Uh, these communities don't even look the same anymore. I mean, they're completely that this has been half a century. you got generations who have moved away, new generations who have moved in. Uh, so, you know, this to me, this looks like a bunch of pork to possibly politically connected construction companies. I mean, this looks like, you know, straight up writ large uh, corruption. Another thing it does is it uh, puts new regulations on cryptocurrency so it reports uh, the reporting of cryptocurrency transactions to raise uh, billions of dollars on that. And it also delays the drug rebate rule. Remember uh, the Trump administration the that uh, the rule that he put on drug companies um, yeah. that their, their pricing that they couldn't um,
1: It lowered the prices basically for most consumers?
2: Yeah, so it banned drug manufacturers from providing rebates to pharmacy benefit managers and insurers. So instead, drug companies would have to – they were encouraged to pass the discounts directly to patients and the pharmacy counter. So it took out the middleman. So uh, the Biden administration, this, this bill pushes that back. Right. Uh, it, it will not Does it push the- it back. It basically cancels it. Biden says that he wants to eventually implement it, but maybe he wants to wait till 2023 or so to do that.
1: Sure. In the midst of a pandemic, let's give big pharma even more freedom to jack up prices as much as they want.
2: And I was That's talking great. to somebody the other day, and they mentioned that this is kind of when they notice things start to go south for Trump. Politically was when he ran up against big pharma when he kicked big pharma. It was like he kicked the hornet's nest. And that's when all the funding started. The Democratic campaign call for just started to fill. But
1: that was one of of the many sacred cows that Trump was not afraid to attack because he was a true outsider. And but of course, they, they went all in for Biden, knowing that Biden will give them back all the protections. And all the while, both Biden and the media will run cover for big pharma. Yes, as heroes because they're doing everything with vaccines in the middle of the pandemic.
2: And I haven't looked at the specifics of the – I haven't read the bill itself. I've just read news articles on it. This was the CNN article that I was just reading. But um, is it – I don't know if you've looked at it or not, but allegedly this bill includes plans to implement a per-mile tax. So every mile you drive, you're taxed
1: for. I heard that there are plans like kind of to test that out, like a mileage tax. So there are plans to kind of do like a little test run of that or something. I'm not hundred percent sure on the details of that, but yeah, I think that is in the bill because that's what that's what we that's infrastructure, right? Taxing every mile we drive on the highway, guys. Uh, or potentially again, I think it's like a. There obviously there's no way they could implement that right now. So yeah, it's it's like a, a trial run of some kind.
2: Yes, yeah, so this is from Forbes. The infrastructure bill includes $125 million to fund pilot programs to test a national vehicle miles traveled fee. Uh, so what this is would charge motorists a fee based on how many miles they drive. So if you drive a vehicle, you would pay money to the government for every mile you drive. Um, so the fee, the fee is used to raise revenue for transportation infrastructure, kind of like a gas tax. But instead of just taxing your gasoline, they want to tax the gasoline and charge you per mile. So it includes $10 million each year from 2022 to 2026 for a National Vehicles Miles Traveled Fee Pilot Program. The goal for this is to test the feasibility of a road usage fee another goal is of this is to oh, this is good to quote to conduct public education and outreach to increase public awareness regarding the need for user-based alternative revenue mechanisms for surface transportation programs so a lot of this is used for propaganda a lot of the, a lot of the spending for this mileage fee is just for propaganda to educate americans on why they need to pay the federal government for every single mile that they drive. So following the completion of the program, the Biden administration may or may not implement a vehicle miles traveled fee. During the pilot program, there will be volunteers from all 50 states, including both passenger and commercial vehicles. Why volunteers? I mean, if they're spending, what is this, $125 million they could afford to pay these people. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but there's going to be volunteers from all 50 states, including both passenger and commercial vehicles. The drivers would have their miles tracked with GPS and data apps.
1: So, yeah, this infrastructure package, which basically flirts with the possibility of taxing you for every mile you drive. That is what this is really all about. This is not infrastructure any more than you know the coronavirus bill was not really about coronavirus it was stimulus it was pork this is pork and certainly as people have pointed out yeah we we dunk on fiscal conservatives all the time rightfully so but it does need to be said as inflation is on the rise this bill and certainly alongside the reconciliation bill would be absolutely disastrous for the economy right now the economy is not doing well we talked about before how the the landlord the eviction moratorium crisis could very well lead to a a crisis even worse than 2008 when that moratorium finally expires. The inflation is not helping. The economy is not recovering nearly as fast as it should. The July jobs report was a disaster. It was 300,000 below expectations. Things are not going well right now. So we can have fun and dunk on Andrew Cuomo and other Democrats who may fall every now and then. But... At the end of the day, we should not lose sight of the bigger picture, which these issues will ultimately decide. 2022 Republicans can and should campaign on how disastrous this bill is, but at the end of the day, we also need to realize this makes the Democrats stronger. This makes Biden and the Democrats in 2022 that much stronger because they can go to their voters and say, "We gave you your, you know, 10 billion for this, you know, project here in Idaho. You know, we gave you funding for this." They take care of their voters. They're not betraying their voters. They're not letting their voters down like Republicans always do. That is all the time we have left for this episode of The Right Take. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, be sure to follow us at our website, righttakepodcast.com. Feel free to donate to us if you are feeling so generous, righttakepodcast.com slash support, and follow all of our social media feeds and podcast platforms where we are available, righttakepodcast.com slash subscribe. We'll talk to you next week, guys. The city, 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 the the city, 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 the